to talk about visually consumed art and media. And all that good stuff that is super nerdy and super arty and locked away behind elitism and pretension all the time. Such pretentious <laughs> behaviors. Today we have decided to delve into the world of Maria Abramovic. Yes. A performance artist from... Yugoslav? She's Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. Yeah. Yugoslavia, so you know part of what Russia vomited up. Yeah, basically. She is known as the grandmother of performance art. Yes. And has been producing works since the late 70s? It's been about 40 years. Early 80s? Uh, The Arrow piece was dated 1980? Yeah. Um, She's had, I think the first rhythm was in 1973. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The pieces that she tries to focus on are about the limits of the human body audience engagement and accountability the rhythm series speaks to this specifically it does it's um so the rhythm series there are i believe four of them there's probably more um but there's four that most people sort of highlight and focus on um rhythm 10 rhythm 5 rhythm 2 and rhythm 0 in 1973, 1974, Rhythm 2 in 1974 again, and Rhythm 0 in 1974 as well. Yep. So each of them sort of explores her doing different sort of limitations of the body, with the exception of Rhythm 0, which um, focuses on audience engagement and accountability, where the audience is like, they have, I think, about 72 different objects on a table in front of her. She sits passively, and they, the audience is able to use anything on the table to interact with her. Um, and it examines, like, how, when you don't have social consequences, how certain people will do certain things. Or how far people are willing to push what may be considered a social norm. Exactly. So with her performance pieces specifically beginning in the 1973-1974, we got the hippies. They're kind of dying, but not really. Performance art (laughs) is on an upswing in general. Rhythm 5 was where she created a star out of petroleum, lit on fire, Yep, and then jumped in it, Yep, and passed out. Yep. (laughs) They didn't even know she was passed out in there. (laughs) They weren't sure. They didn't know. But there was a lot of smoke, and the light was weird. But paramedics were eventually on the scene, and she came out of it okay. Alive, at least. It all worked out. Mm, Can we talk about the, first of all, Rhythm 10, where she plays the Russian game where you just take a knife and stab between the spaces with your fingers? Yes. And she just kept doing it over and over and, like, was cutting herself, and every time she cut herself, she just got another knife and started doing it again. It's just... (laughs) Like, I know that there is a moment with performance artists, uh, performance pieces in general, in a gallery setting that I don't entirely understand. On a basic level, on an intellectual and academic level, I understand how they got there and why they're doing it. But there is a genuine moment of, like with all modern art, well, my kindergartner could do that, yeah, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. So whoever gets to the punch first. And people do have a visceral reaction to watching someone harm themselves and not respond to it. There is something in that that makes people really unnerved. Exactly. Which all of her art seems to touch on in particular ways. Bodily harm is not one of her concerns. Yeah. 
not something she's worried about. I was going to say that um, I think a big thing about like performance art and concept art in general, and the way I've always sort of explained it is that when you, when your entire art historical and artistic canon has been based on works that focus around like geometry and symmetry and proportion and creating perfect like anatomy, yeah. such as the Renaissance, the Greeks, the, the Romans. Yes. When you create art that is not based on those things, that's based on either nothing or just performance, it's inherently revolutionary. Inherently. Because yeah. you're challenging a status quo that's been established for years. And art is something that's always sort of pushed the status quo because it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's a product of sort of cultural and social and political climates. So yeah, that's I think sort of encompasses why what she's doing is so interesting and important in that it addresses a vein of art that is very new and very sort of engaging in well, a way we haven't been engaged before. And will always be ever-changing because it is a re reactionary art form in yes. and onto itself. It can't exist without an audience. Exactly. Which is why performance pieces don't work when filmed. They have to have a live participation aspect. Exactly. Even if it's just people watching someone cartwheel down the street. True. Though it is interesting to see how, like, video impacts the reality of, like, performance art. Like, yes. there's a specific piece I'm thinking of, and it's called Shoot by Chris Burden. Yeah. Where he has his friend shoot him with a rifle. Yes. And it's a performance piece, but they recorded it. Yes. And what's important about it is, the, obviously, the visual. And he tells you to, like, hone in on very specific things, like listen for the dropping of the shell, listen yeah. for him asking me if I'm ready. Um, and it becomes this thing that you're watching and, like, working through. But it's really strange just to think of, no, like, um, <laughs> that it's a performance that piece where someone is shot. Yes, intentionally. Well, not even just that. That it's like a performance piece that was literally done to be viewed secondhand. Yes, like you're meant to see it as a video instead of seeing it in the moment, which is so. That's a weird <laughs> kind of premeditation. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it also shows how, as videos become a more prevalent part of our lives, the perception we have of visual art is changing. Exactly. Specifically gearing toward performance pieces. Unlike uh, plays or other forms of visual art in that nature, this is not a rehearsed thing. It is an immediate thing. Exactly. Which is why she, people didn't realize that she passed out in Rhythm 5. Yeah. Or also, for further limitations of the body, when she's in Rhythm 2 and she takes medication that causes muscle contractions, so she loses control over her body while remaining aware of what's going on. And then after about a 10 minute break, she's given like a schizophrenic, like a medication meant to be given to schizophrenic patients with violent behavior disorders to calm them down. And the whole thing lasted like five hours until the meds wore off. So basically she tripped in front of people. She just tripped in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> That's what she did. Well, she muscle spasms. Well, I was cataplectic and then tripped in front of people. Yeah. Just to see reactions. Yeah. Because Rhythm Zero was all about the reactions. Exactly. So in Rhythm Zero, there are 72 objects laid out on a table. Marina is set and passively allows people to do whatever. Literally whatever. Yep. Her clothing is cut off. Cuts were made. Someone actually pointed a gun at her head. Yep. I don't know if they cocked it, but they still pointed it at her fucking face. <laughs> and in this performance piece, it ends... How long was it? Probably it, five or six hours? Yeah, it was a few hours. I can't really remember. But, 
yeah, at the end she stands, moves toward the audience, and the whole audience, like, retreats and, like, runs away because it's actual confrontation. <laughs> Suddenly you're held accountable. Oh, shit, no. So it really does examine the sort of how vulnerable or vulnerable or aggressive humans can be when they are free of sort of social consequences, when they don't really... Well, they're free of an immediate consequence. Indeed. If you immediately yeah. step up to someone on the street, they're not... They're gonna do a double take because either they didn't expect it, or they're not. Sh they're waiting if they want to actually have this fight with you. Exactly. Part of this performance piece was being passive for so long that a certain amount of complacency would probably set in in the audience. Exactly. People would push boundaries that they normally would never push, exactly. and then when confronted by it, oh no! And they Zoidberg away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was viewed and done as a commentary on the view of a woman's body versus as a consumed product versus something that is owned as the madonna mother and whore yeah she refers to the image for stripped attacked and devalued body as such yes um which i guess would sort of anticipates the archetypes of femininity therein that are yeah. sort of constructed that are enforced often through violence yes and a level of commentary at that point on the social norms and how far people are willing to be pushed. Yeah. Which is becoming very apparent in our political climate. People aren't being quiet anymore. Nobody's being quiet. Well, that's not true. Plenty of people are being quiet. Uh, but... Less people are being quiet for longer. The loud voices are getting louder. <laughs> and other voices are challenging versus yeah. just, well, it'll go away. It'll Shaking go up away. that status quo. <laughs> Destroy it. Destroy it. Moving on with Abramovich. Um, Abramovich? Abramovich. Abr Abramovich. Ab Abramovich. Abramovich. <laughs> Something like, yeah, you know. She we knows who she is. We keep wanting to put a T in her name. Yeah. We, we want there to be a T. We want it to be Abramovich. Yeah. It I think just, that's how she said it, though. I don't know. It began with a B. I'm just going to call her Marina. Marina. That's easier. So we're just going to say Marina. Um, so from her original works, ones exploring those sort of subjects, she also did a number of works with a lover of hers named, I believe his name is Ule Le Sipin, but he just goes by Ule, which is a lot easier. Ule is a lot easier. U-L-A-Y, if you yes. want to Google it. Yes. Um, and theirs are especially, their works together, because they're both artists working together, um, they do a lot of different sort of works examining things like trust and forming this sort of collective being that they refer to as the other, mm -hmm. um, and they speak of themselves as the sort of two-headed bodies, so they do, like, weird sort of exhibitions or performance art where they'll, like, tie their ponytails together. Yeah. And it's very, it's very interesting. A good word for it. Began working with him in a documented fashion in 1977. Oh no, before that. Before, before that? that? Yeah, yeah. that's okay. just um, the one that I pointed out. But Alrighty. she was working with You're him good. probably in the late 1970s. In the late 1970s. Yeah. And overlapping at the end of Rhythm Zero. So yes. late 1970s into the 1980s. Yeah. Imponderabilia. So Imponderabilia. They, so they do this, um, they do a lot of different sort of performance pieces, like, examining the relationship of trust, this degree of being uncomfortable with another person or being comfortable with another person. And one thing that they do in 1977 is imponderabilia, where they stand naked in a doorway and the public has to squeeze through them in order to pass. And in doing so, they choose which one of them to face. Yeah. Which just riles me up all nice. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. That's okay. <laughs> 
This sounds like it could be a fun time. Or very weird. <laughs> oh, very weird. Um, and then other sort of uh, things like in 1980. The oh, rest yes. Energy. The rest energy um, where Marina is holding a bow and Ule is holding an arrow. And then between the two of them, the bow is drawn, pointed at Marina's chest. Yes. So they have to hold in that position so that, you know, she doesn't die. Yeah. Although at that close of range, it might not kill you, but it would still do damage to you yeah. if loosed. But it feels like a very artistic trust exercise. Yeah. Is the only way I can it's describe it. It's like a trust it. fall, only you'll die. Yeah, trust like... fall, only you'll die. Either through the string actually going or, you know, you guys falling on each other. Basically. And that one was filmed. Yes, it was. It was filmed, and the film has it on a very gray, neutral background, which gives the impression to me that it was designed and set up with the intent of being filmed. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's very much... I think it's interesting that they have... that you see these kinds of videos of performance pieces that often have to do with bodily harm, in that it's so unlike the piece that she did earlier where she in rhythm zero yeah um where the audience is directly engaged in yeah. like creating the harm yeah. whereas in these other videos it's interesting because they directly take you out of that like yes. you know that nothing bad is going to happen because you're watching the video yeah like you know <laughs> you, you know, know that you're not gonna die exactly you know that this didn't actually end badly exactly and it, it creates uh, as a void in your voyeuristic feel to me due to the time period. Yes. And that could just be specifically due to the time period, but the conversation around the pieces of the intimacy between both artists to trust each other enough to do that creates and amplifies that feeling for me in a very specific way. Exactly. That's true. I feel that. Which is both fascinating and by today's standards we might consider pedantic, but 1980, 1977, this is the forefront at its time. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So, anyway, they're not together anymore. They broke up. <laughs> That's a, as, I just wanted to put that out there. They broke as up. As happens. Um, and their most famous work, uh, together at least, is probably known as The Lovers, which is them walking down the Great Wall of China, starting at opposite ends and meeting in the middle. Where when, when they meet in the middle, they hug, they say goodbye, and that is the end of their relationship. They stop being together. So it's essentially a spiritual yeah. journey yeah. that just ends their relationship. And it took them about eight years to acquire permission from the Chinese government, and the walk took 90 days. That's a long time to it's think time. about someone you're not maybe going to see again. Yeah. I mean, she does see him again. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> well, they're real humans. That. Yeah. But their, at that point, work relationship was dissolved. Exactly. It's just sort of gone. And yeah. then... Of course, in 2015. 2015. So, <laughs> I think she sees him again before this, because I think The Artist is Present came before 2015. The Artist was Present was 2010. So, yeah. And um, Room with a Seaside View was 2002. Okay. I believe that's the title. I could be wrong. Uh, this is where she is in a three-room levitated area with knife ladders, blades pointed up so she can't climb down, and this piece was featured in Sex in the City, I think it was one of the final seasons, but actual film footage of the artist in situ at the performance. Alright, the title of the piece is The House with the Ocean View, 
2012, the duration was 12 days. Oh, 2002. 2002, sorry. 2002. Duration, 12 days. But this was one of my first formulative exposures to her work. Just that level of show that your parents are watching and you see pieces of it. You don't always understand what it is, but this piece did stick with me due to the lack of talking. Yeah. Due to how quiet it was and due to the setup in the television show of going to the gallery at 2 fucking a.m. To make sure, yes... She's still up there. No, she's not around the corner eating a Big Mac. <laughs> oh, she's Serbian more. I didn't know that. All right. Now we know. Also, speaking of quietness, I guess the artist is present is sort of all about that, too. Yes, it is. Um, Which was 736 hours and oh, 30 yeah. minutes. That's a long time. It is. It's essentially just her sitting in a chair and people coming up and they sit across from her and they stare at her they make eye contact they're not allowed to speak to her they're not allowed to touch her they just look her in the eyes and they just sit there and they are allowed to sit there for as long or short a time as they choose Mm -hmm. this piece was infamous enough to have an 8-bit video game made about it which we are actively sitting through it's um, okay can i you can okay so this is why we're the raging hermits this freaking video game i'm so fucking angry so it's called the artist is present and it's made by this dude named pippin bar and he makes it maybe about a year after the performance piece is done yes so and it, it is flash based yes. still live online yes you can find this yes and play it yes all you have to do is type in the artist is present video game yes and it comes up and it's essentially a museum visiting simulator where you go into the museum, you're like staying outside the museum, you go inside, you buy it, go in line, you buy, you buy a, a ticket, ticket, you go, go to the in, gallery, and then there's a line. And it follows, the whole game follows regular museum hours, okay? So it's not open on Tuesdays. Like, you have to get up early to go to the museum yes. when it opens yes. and queue up yes. in order to enter and play. Because there's a queue. Like, you're, I'm standing in line right now. We've been standing here for, like, 30 minutes. We have been standing in line <laughs> in a video game for 30 minutes, and it hasn't moved. No one has moved. The person either has not gotten up or is just trolling us because they can? And if that's the case... Person playing today of November, fuck you. Yeah, me. Like, so I'm we, so angry. We were trying to figure out if it was actually an interactive game, but no, it is a going to the museum simulator. Just a sim. It's real-time sim. I have never played a video game in real-time ever. I didn't know they made those. I don't think they should. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. It's just... So we know there's an end, because yeah. the creator said that there was an end. Yes. Well, not an end, but that you can eventually get to the front of the line, and then you and can then you look can into her eyes. And then you can sit and look. So the point of the performance. They better show, like, a major close-up of her face at the end. I like, bet a you super 8-bit. I hope they don't. Big close. I'm be so I, angry. I, I, I you bet, just sit there. I, I bet you $2 they don't do that. I'm not going to bet you money, because this game hates me enough <laughs> that I think that they would do that. I'm pretty sure. Can I please go? I'm literally like, hitting the walk button. I'm it's fine everything's fine so Um, around her work and around the presence that she has been for so long beginning performances in the 1970s it's now 2017 we're still talking about her she's still semi-relevant thus there's a whole lot of reactionary stuff to what she's done down to the point of uh, do we want to talk about the kickstarter first or do we want to talk about the unpaid royalties 
Okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, all right. So, let's start off with the unpaid royalties because, well, no, the Kickstarter came first. Okay. Didn't it? I think it did. Let me double check. Kickstarter, we believe, we're going to double checking, was in... Kickstarter was in 2014. Okay. So, it came first, The Kickstarter came first. Sorry, it was in 20... December 2014 is when this whole thing was supposed to, like, actually end. Estimated delivery is 20... So, yeah, it started in 2013. So, 2013, there was a Kickstarter back in the early days to create a... I don't know what the acronym stands for. It's the uh, the Marina Abramovich Institute. Institute to document, preserve, and continue the growth of performance art and music... And science. And film, and science, and spirituality. And they do this through long, durational work. Which is any work lasting more than six hours. Yeah. So that applies in a lot of senses to performance artists as they've developed today, but could also then, at least in our opinion as Hermits Who Rage, be applied to long movie shoots. Lord of the Rings, in my opinion, falls under this category due to how long the actors were on set and how close the bonds became. True. That was way more than six hours. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I would think that uh, me writing my thesis fits in there probably somewhere. Yeah. Um, probably not, but I want to say it does because it was very long and durational for me. It was long and durational. <laughs> very much so. And that is the personal kind of performance pieces that we all go through. We just don't yes. ask people to have an audience at this point. Exactly. But Until you ki- have to defend it. <laughs> but this Kickstarter was to raise money... To do the preliminary designing and estimates, renovations? I don't think they said renovations. They did, they did not. Okay. So here's the problem. <laughs> so people were expecting that the money would go towards the renovation of buildings that Marina bought to be renovated to create this institute. But the Kickstarter, from now, we are looking at the Kickstarter now. I do not know what it looked like originally. The Kickstarter says that it was for preliminary planning and surveying. And surveying. So, like, strategic, like, models and things like that. Basically, um, we're going to take a look at what all these pieces are and see if this is feasible. Exactly. Versus we're actually going to make a thing. Yes. Which so are yes. two different things. I do understand how the confusion based on the reward tiers and based on some of the other language that is still live would cause. Yeah. But we are not actually able to find in it mention of actual construction, renovation, and new building. Exactly. It's So they have a section that says, if I contribute to this Kickstarter campaign, what will my money fund? And they say, your pledge will contribute to the early MIA programming, office operations, and schematic designs of architectural elements, including building structure, lighting, acoustics, and AV. Um, the early designing phase demands an innovative approach, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, early designing phases, they explicitly say that, but... The video that they offer for the Institute and mm-hmm. the Kickstarter implies rather heavily <laughs> that, that this will be a finished Institute that you will be yeah. able to someday visit. Yeah. Or enroll in and take classes or perform your pieces. Yes. A gallery space designed and geared toward performance pieces. Which into up to in and onto itself, I'm not sure if that actually exists in many places, if any. I don't think that it does. Yeah. Um, to their credit, and this is me being fair, because it it's easy to say, oh, well, you fucked up and you didn't do it, and yeah. now I want my money back, and you won't give it to me because you said that you spent it on the early designing phases, but I thought I was going to have a place. To be fair, the building was donated by Marina. She paid for it. She invested about 1.2 mil. Yeah. And... 
they found out that the completion of the project was probably going to exceed $31 million. Yeah. And there was, there's no way. Like, that's, you, there was no way they could have. Um, and they wouldn't have known that without doing the preliminary work. Yeah. So there's a moment of, this is the idea, this is the concept, this all sounds so great. This, specifically, because it is in New York. Yeah. This is an unrealistic, unfeasible creature. Yeah. So I understand where people are upset, and I understand how people feel jilted, cheated, robbed of. I think this is one of those cautionary moments of the early days of Kickstarters of people over-promising for projects they weren't quite prepared for. Yeah. Which a lot of the earlier campaigns, specifically for things like video games and concept albums and building projects that don't have a tangible, hey, here's an easy thing for me to actually hand to you when I'm done. This is part of why we've seen Kickstarter move away from the big performance shit into the more, hey, we can fund your enamel pin or your tarot deck or your video game that's already 90% finished, exactly. like Hollow Knight. Yeah. Or the concepts and as we grow, we'll build. And why Kickstarter as a platform, speaking as an artist who has used it, is honestly very stringent. If stuff doesn't make it, they do investigate why. You get too many flags on your account, you can't keep going. Exactly. And as far as Kickstarter is concerned, so there was concern that she wasn't giving the rewards that she had promised. Yeah. Kickstarter contends that she did. It was. That it was done. That she completed it. There are people that they sent everything out to people who RSVP'd. Yeah. Or who responded. There are some people who were saying they haven't received things. And something that was funny to me um, was that the first tier, like, if you pay a dollar, you yeah. get a hug from Marina. Yeah. And, but there's only two locations for you to get a hug from her, and one is in Europe and one's in New York. So you have to travel to these locations yeah. to get a hug. Yeah. Which I kind of get. I get having, that. Having She's not going to fly to all these random people. people. <laughs> well, and, um, Ama, the hugging saint mm -hmm. from India, has ashrams set up in different parts, even in the U.S. here, mm -hmm. with the specific intent of people go to this to get a hug. Exactly. Having done it, it's an experience, but I understand why a centralized location is what you would need to have a line of people waiting to embrace another human being. Yeah. But So the Kickstarter has ended. They're not going to be able to finish the building. Um, and after that, in November 2015, Ule took Marina to court, claiming that she had paid him insufficient royalties according to the terms of the 1999 contract covering the sales of the joint of their joint works. Yes. And 2016, a little bit about a year later, Dutch court ordered Marina to pay 250,000 euros to her former co-creator and lover Ule as his share of sales of artistic collaborations over their joint works. Found he was entitled to royalties of 20% net on the sales of their works. And additionally, she was ordered to provide a full accreditation to joint works listed as Ule Abramovic, covering the periods from 1976 to 1980. And for those... 1981. 1988. Okay, yeah. So, I can see somebody not wanting to include someone who they're not talking to anymore, but that's yeah. not how art not credit how work. works. That's not how work. You don't get to do that. <laughs> if you worked at a, If you did a collaboration with someone... They own partial credit forever. Yes. You have to confer with them in order to make merchandise, yeah. monetize. Yeah. I've done that in my own communities. Yeah. And you credit people. Use their real name, not just their online handle. Ask that question. Basically. <laughs> it's, 
it's just interesting to me. Like, it's, there's this, like, sort of disparity, like, between the Marina that's, like, the artist versus, the like, Marina, the, <laughs> like, the person. <laughs> Often true. That's almost oh, no. always the case. That is always <laughs> the case. Specifically, I've decided to a certain extent with artists from particular eras, artists from the seventies and eighties. There is a clear divorce yeah. between the artist persona and who they actually are. Mm-hmm. I know in more modern art circles, most of mine are fantasy versus academic. There is less of a divide. There's more. They've seen the divide. They've seen how it's been bad, and they said we don't want to do that. Yeah. So there's a conscious effort to not have a divide, but a divide will sometimes always just occur due to a public face versus a private face, it's which just sort everyone of has. Yeah, it's just inherent. Like, yeah. the persona that you project as an artist is inherently different than who you are as a person, whether you want yes. it to be or not. Um, because people are engaging with you on a different degree, so yes. they see you in a different way. You become a figure versus a person. Exactly. And that does create disparity even within the wider viewing audience. Because if you think of someone as a figure versus as a person and don't acknowledge the person part, that can be harmful or it can allow for behaviors that should never have been allowed for. Exactly. Which is often the case, especially with male artists. Oh, male yeah. Artists are often very, very shitty. No, a lot of artists have turned out to be certain levels of just shitty. That's life. So, I guess her most recent controversy... 2016? 2016? September 2016 was when she had to pay out to... Ule? Ule. So... August 2016. August 2016 is from a couple of passages from the early drafts of her memoir, in which, based on the notes from her 1979 initial encounter with Australian Aborigines, she compared them to dinosaurs. (laughs) <laughs> and comments that they have big torsos, which are just one bad result of their encounter with Western civilization. civilization and a diet of heavy sugars and stick like licks. I think she also at one point said um, that they're very ugly to us, like to our eyes. Yes. <laughs> saying she had the greatest respect for the aborigine people to she owed everything and essentially so the name of her memoir is walk through walls prematurely surfaced online and the original apology that she put out was not very well received people made a hashtag called the racist is present and everyone just sort of went in <laughs> on her and we have actually her second apology um which she says was wholehearted do you want to read it? you want me to you can Um, so this is the apology. I have tried to live my life with courage and I have very few regrets. However, the events of the last week have been humbling. My choice to include in my unfinished memoir manuscript the passage from my 1979 diary that used such terrible language to describe my first impressions of Aboriginal peers in the Western Australian desert is one of these regrets. My heart has been aching continually since this came to light. My words were offensive and I want to wholeheartedly apologize to those who I have hurt as a result. The most painful part is of it all is that I have hurt Aboriginal individuals who trusted me and that I perpetuated hurtful stereotypes of a people to whom I owe so much and respect so utterly. 
I know that the words I used felt like a betrayal, and I am truly sorry. Devaluing the integrity, the beauty, and the struggle of Indigenous Australians from whom, with whom Ule and I lived from 1980 to 1981 must have seemed an assault on people who are particularly beloved and, and inspiring to me. Some fans have accepted this heartfelt apology, and others remain unconvinced. There's one criticism that sort of calls her out for not using the opportunity to highlight contemporary issues in Australia um, that you haven't addressed or committed or commented on this ongoing issue um, when you could have used this as an opportunity to do so. Versus just leaving your comments embedded in the year they actually were written. Yeah, exactly. So, which I think is a sort of fair assessment. I believe it is, because yeah. there's a moment of you can apologize when you're called out on it, or you can consciously take the point of, here's my initial rough draft raw right in 1980. Yeah. And, well, doing a memoir X amount of years later, 1980, 30, 30 years later, yeah. you can't apply some con context if you're able to find it. Exactly. And there's a genuine moment of... Some people say, this is a wholehearted felt apology, I learned a lot from these people, but fuck them and I'm not going to say that in a public sphere. Yeah. And I think it's, here's my thing with a lot of these sorts of apologies, is like, one, it's very hard to always tell if they're genuine. It's very yeah. difficult. Because it's, things like race are such complex issues, mm -hmm. um, and often, like people, it's this perception that racism is always hurling like slurs and like being actively aggressive, but in, ha in fact, it's often very insidious. Well, and passive to those it does not affect. Exactly. It happens, and some people go, well, I don't know, I don't understand why this is happening. Well, let me tell you a story. Yes. Let me explain to you institutionalized racism, which is as prevalent in the Americas as it is in Australia. Exactly. Which is why I think it's it would have been a more fitting apology had she addressed it. Because yes. then you're acknowledging actively that you're part of the problem. Yes. Instead of just saying, like, oh, I'm spreading hurtful stereotypes, my bad. <laughs> like, it's... It just seems odd to me. But, again, I'm I'm not Marina. I don't know her personally. No, so. neither do I. To my knowledge, neither of us have met her. Neither of us have actually seen any of her performances live. Because I don't think she's done any since the artist is present. She may have. Let's look. Um, what has she done lately? What have you done lately, Marina? Other than your fucking cancelled art project. So that was from, the artist's present was May 2010. She gave a TED Talk okay. in 2015. Uh, she presented a new piece at the London Serpentine Gallery in 2014 called 512 Hours. So, and then in the Sean Kelly Gallery hosted Generator, which she also did in 2014. Participants are blindfolded and wear sound-canceling headphones in an exploration of nothingness. So, now I guess she's doing more things with sort of senses? Sensory deprivation, and again, I guess that yeah. sort of ties into the limitations of the body. Well, limitations of the body, limitations of the mind, and it's the next place to go. She's done bodily harm, mm -hmm. she's done intimate trust, yep. she's done making the audience engage, and now beyond engaging her specifically, she's making the audience experience, mm -hmm. which is kind of indicative of how even virtual reality stuff is becoming more prevalent. Yes. There is this want of humans seeking escapism or seeking something else to experience things for a short term versus a long term. Yeah. 
to get an idea, and it can be incredibly helpful, like to understand how your senses are very limited or heightened if you decide not to use your eyes today, and experience it, the world through touch, sound, and that's it. But you'll never understand what it is to be blind. You can understand pieces of it, but not the whole. Exactly. And that is part of what performance art in the modern art vein is specifically talking about. I would say. Yeah, no, based I on think my that understanding. I think that that's fair. I think that the experiential aspect of it is key. Like, yes. and I think that that's becoming a key part of virtually all performance art. Yes. Um, I know Anish Kapoor, who we're going to talk about next time. Yes. Um, he has also done a lot of work with sort of experiencing Sen- and sensory deprivation. Well, and experiencing a thing is the next phase beyond the two-dimensional art on a wall, which we saw growth, boom, and some would argue varieties of end with pop art Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. I mean, we still have a modern art, it's an awful denomination of when to put time frames on artwork. Yeah. We still do have two-dimensional artists creating art is a constant living thing, and artists move from ism to ism. But for things like performance art and sensory art, which are taking it a level of, no, if you're going to view this, you have to interact with it. Exactly. Forces the viewer, forces that you're part of the visual, you're part of the understanding, you're part of the narrative to actually be non-passive. Yes. Which is important. It's a full immersion. It's a full immersion, and through that, I think people's minds actually have the ability to slowly peel open safely. Versus... crack, shatter, and break. Yes. Because it is a slower introduction to other ways of thinking. And I think that's sort of the key to performance art, and virtually all concept art and modern art, for lack of better words, is to... (laughs) Yes! Is to do just that! It's introduction to different ways of thinking! Yes! And that's what people, I think... It's easy to sort of sit there and compare modern art to, oh, great masterpieces of the Renaissance. When if you're only looking at it visually, then you imagine that technical skill is what matters the most. Right. But in reality, there are so many different uses for art. It can be used as a tool of protest. Yes. It can be used as a tool of revealing the different intricacies of the human psyche. Right. And it's very revolutionary. Like I was saying, yes. that performance art and concept art and modern art directly engage with that, where to the point where it's no longer about technical skill at all. Yes. It's all about a larger, overarching sort of concept. It becomes a living, breathing thing versus something that can be hung and forgotten. That everyone is inherently involved in. Yes. Implicitly. You just gotta. Yeah. just gotta do it. Yeah! So, I bet y'all didn't know we were gonna solve all the questions of life. (laughs) We did. We did. (laughs) But thank you for joining us on the Raging Hermits. Yes! See you next time. Woo! Ollie outie. There is no purpose to what we do. Thank you.